Welcome to Getting Loud on the Cloud, a podcast for companies who are hosting their largest, most complex workloads on the cloud. Hello and welcome. This is a podcast takeover. My name is Ori Wiseman, a senior solutions architect at Silk, and I'm taking over for Derek Swanson, our chief technology officer here at Silk as well. Today, we have a special guest, Keith Lyon at Blue Triangle. Why don't you give us an introduction, Keith? Thanks, Lori. My name is Keith Lyon. I'm a senior solutions architect over at Blue Triangle. My industry background is helping companies identify true friction points in their user experience and optimize to get the highest business value out of their applications. Excellent. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you, Ori. Pleasure to be here. So today we want to talk about a new user experience trend, especially in the retail and e-commerce segments, that slow is really the new down. Now, what does that mean? People seem to be more forgiving when a website is actually down and they can just maybe come back later to do their shopping or purchasing versus if their experience is very slow. So it takes a long time to load a page or it takes a long time to add something to their cart. But this is a new UI UX trend that's kind of being reported. Are you seeing some similar stories in the market, Keith? Oh, yeah. So in the retail space specifically, we have identified five reasons that customers leave a site. So the first reason is performance, purely performance, just like you were saying. It's one thing to not be able to get to a site. At least you have an immediate answer of, I can't get there. But when you go to a site and it doesn't load or piece parts of a page don't load, maybe you get through all of your navigation throughout that shopping experience and get to the checkout page only to find out that it's not functioning or it's so slow that it's not even usable. Those are triggers for end users that say, hey, I probably need to go over to a competitor's site to shop because the one I use and trust is not working as it should be. Yeah, I mean, I love buying sneakers online and I can't tell you how many times I've been frustrated when they come out and then the website crashes or it gets really slow. I just stop caring about buying them. So I really hear that too. Exactly. The second thing is content. So this is what makes up what is on the web page. So are your images blurry? Are you formatting your your images for the right uh, frame type, the right mobile device, the right desktop experience, even the right browser? Browsers expect a preferred type of image. For instance, Chrome wants WebP versus JPEG. It performs better in their browser. If there are products that description is incomplete, Maybe the price isn't correct on the website. The content isn't correct. That creates challenges for end users as they're trying to navigate throughout that purchase process. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I can see that, uh, especially if you think that something might be in stock and then you see that it's not in stock when you get all the way to the end of your uh, experience with the website. So that's an interesting point as well. Exactly. Third thing is functionality. Oh, do all the button clicks work? Do the the flyouts, do the the hamburger menus, do they all function as they should? You mentioned add to cart. That's the number one problem that we find whenever customers are trying to check out. If the cart is inoperable, if the buttons to add that product cart are inoperable, that's going to create friction and frustration for your end users. Anything that can be done to mitigate is going to lower the risk for that end user experience and ultimately help boost those conversions for your for your application. So it seems like there's kind of a reoccurring theme here and it just these websites really need to be performant and available at all times no matter what's going on. So that's uh that probably creates a strain on some uh, IT departments I imagine. Of course, trying to stay nimble and stay quick there are often times that 
bugs slip through the crack. And that's, again, I've touted this many times, testing in your lower level environments before you move changes to production is critical to your business. You're ex- that is helping expose some of the greatest risks that are going to impact user behavior throughout your application. Yeah. So testing really becomes critical for these systems because if you can't accurately test what your load is going to be, then you, you know, once you get in the field and real life uh, hits you, it's probably going to hit you pretty hard. I run into situations every single day where my clients are testing in production and using their own customers as their test bed. It's one thing to do A-B testing to see, hey, I want to see what the format of this page looks like against different user groups. But then there's another area where where it impacts the full functionality of the website. A-B testing, just to highlight that, is when you roll out a a part of website to a certain amount of users and then a, a different part to a different amount of users. So you can test things before you roll them out fully in production and make sure that everything's working just so that we can stay on with our users. So you mentioned something, though, that was very interesting to me. You mentioned cart abandonment, and I wanted to talk a little bit about this. There are some statistics here that I have, too, that are interesting. The average cart abandonment rate across all industries. So anybody who has an online shopping experience that has a shopping cart, it's 69.57%, basically 70%. That's a huge rate of sales that seemingly were about to happen that did not. And then with mobile users, they have an even higher abandonment rate of 85.65%. So that's pretty intense. This is according to PwC Research. Can you take us through what cart abandonment is and maybe walk us through a workflow as well? Yeah, you bet. So cart abandonment is when users either try to add things to the cart only to find out that item is possibly not in stock, or they add items to the cart only to find out in the checkout experience that there may be a problem with that particular product. So they are literally (laughs) abandoning the cart. So they are leaving their sharpened cart in the store and walking out. Most of those users, are, again, are going to go over to a competitor site. Now, in cases like this, there are a couple of other areas why people leave the site. So that relate to a cart abandonment. One is understanding the psychology of the end user, okay, and the pages they navigate within your application, because that's going to be very concentric to how your users respond to your website. So there are going to be places throughout that user experience where there are expectations to where those end users leave, meaning your tire kickers. So the users that came in from, let's say, an email campaign for a particular product, when they landed on the page, was their first experience super fast? Was it a responsive experience? Or was the first time they ever landed on your site, did it take forever? And did that journey replicate itself throughout that experience? So the first taste an end user gets to your application needs to be as fast and nimble as possible. And every subsequent step in that journey needs to remain that responsive. So back to the cart abandonment. What we find is users that that navigate through an application, adding items to a cart that have an optimal experience, that once they get into the cart and start having a suboptimal experience, let's say greater than 10 seconds, that gives the end user the idea that there might be something wrong with that checkout. There might be something that could impact them or pose them risk in some cases. So from a security standpoint, slow websites can trigger a reaction from end users. So not only is it performance related, but now it's actually getting into the psychology of how the end user expects your site to perform 
whenever they are trying to purchase something from you. And that's actually interesting. I have another stat that kind of backs up what you're saying. 55% of shoppers will abandon if they have to re-enter their card or shipping information. So if you're getting to the end of that workflow, you basically have sold this product. Whatever marketing you did worked, whatever you did to bring this customer to your site worked. You've had a successful sale basically until this point. And then if something happens with the website and the user gets frustrated, especially at this point of, I just need the payment, you're really leaving money on the table. There's no question. And uh, to another point, you know, everything having to be work, uh, everything have, having to work all the time, the average checkout flow has 24 form elements and 15 form fields. So these are different controls that are on your website that all need to be working. You mentioned making sure functionality works. It can be a bit difficult, especially if you don't have the proper testing around your system. And actually, I kind of want to talk a little bit about performance testing. So I know you, you're a performance engineer and you've had a lot of experience in the field. What are some things to consider when we're performance testing these types of systems? What are the critical components? Do, are these systems layered? Give us a little bit of insight into the kind of how you would performance test one of these major e-commerce platforms as an example. You bet, Ori. So typically when we are tasked with executing a performance test, one of the number one requirements is going to be scalability. Can you handle the load? The second component is how long can you handle that uptick in traffic? Customers during the COVID years, so right when COVID kicked off, are the, the retail, the brick and mortar stores that I work with, some of them saw upwards of an 800% increase in traffic. That is Black Friday every single day for these clients. And what they failed to test for, and again, this was outside of a typical you know, seasonality type testing experience was while they, their infrastructure was able to handle the load for those short periods of time, meaning a day or two at a time. After three days, they noticed that the systems were so taxed and hit so hard that they were not able to sustain the load. So we started having to shift some of our performance testing into longer term smoke testing understanding the dynamics of an end-to-end test while under load for an extended amount of time in order to replicate the same conditions that these that these applications were experiencing while seeing this massive transition from you know brick and mortar to buy online and pick up in store. Man, that sounds pretty complicated. Okay, so then I guess my question is, what's the most critical part of these systems that you performance test? What's the part that I know that they're all probably pretty equally important. And obviously, if one component breaks down, it's still causing issues in the entire workflow. But if you had to say that there was one layer or one component within these systems that's most critical to performance, what would you say it is? One of the biggest challenges that we've had in performance testing is testing against situations where the organization has residential dependencies on the data, meaning where it needs to be stored. We have found that when some companies have to go to a solution that makes them keep their data or data has to reside in a certain region, we found that performance was impacted. Now, You're talking about data residency, right? Yeah, exactly. So due to GDPR, CCPA, there are... GDPR, couple- CCPA, can you tell me what you're talking about? Yeah, so GDPR is the European compliance that that states that your data cannot leave 
those borders. It has to reside there. So users that are coming in from Europe, their data is not traversing across the planet. CCPA is specific to California. They were the first state to enact a compliance that says any data stored for an end user in California, one has to reside there as well as they have to opt in for any tracking capabilities across a website. So with that being said, that created a a model now that healthcare providers and and financial organizations are starting to have to adhere to. And testing against those models, it can be a little bit challenging. Uh, One of the the areas of, of risk ultimately is how fast that data is getting to those end users since it's now split up. It's not sitting in the same storage anymore. So now they're, they're, so when you say split up, can we focus on that for a second? When you say that the data is split up, so you're saying that the, the data residency and localization and the laws, like you mentioned in California and Europe, and I know Germany also has additional compliance and residency laws, even on top of GDPR. So it sounds like you're saying that things are becoming a lot more localized because of this situation where there's these residency and compliance laws that are coming into play now. Is that fair to say? Oh, yeah, that's fair to say. So how it's stated in the in the compliance regulations is PHI data, financial data, or PHI data from the, from the healthcare has to be stored locally. Okay. And you're saying personal health information? That's what you mean by PHI? That's correct. Right. And then, you know, the e-commerce and retail, they also have a PCI DSS for credit card information and things like that. And it sounds like they're actually, there's a push not only from a compliance and a regulatory perspective, but users in different locales tend to have different wants and needs, especially if they're buying products. So the retail space seems to have this kind of dual pressure to localize some of these solutions. Is that something you're seeing as well? Oh, yeah. There's there's a business hit to that. So in CCPA predominantly is averaging around $500 per violation. So imagine if you weren't compliant for 10,000 users, that's a pretty significant hit to your bottom line. Yeah, for sure. And kind of tying this back into the original question of, you know, which layers kind of hit the most, if I can take maybe a guess here, it sounds like most of these solutions are relational databases, not really distributed over you know, multiple regions or or multiple data centers. These are really localized solutions that are being deployed in locales. It seems like a relational database is, is probably what's powering these types of solutions. Is that fair to say? Oh, yeah, it is. Because the data, the way it's structured, it requires that level in t- integrity. So that's that's why they do stay on the relational uh, data. Right. It's highly structured data. So it really needs to be. And, you know, that's how you get performance, making sure that when you put piece of, a bit of information into a field, that field is only the size that it needs to be to capture that piece of information rather than having something that needs to be truncated. So that can have huge performance hits from what I understand as well. Exactly. Anything that is having to make additional calls, maybe create joins, is going to create additional stress or workload on the backend system. So anything that can be done to optimize how all of those piece parts are are working together is ultimately going to lead to a higher performing website. Okay. And, uh, you know, so I just kind of want to point this out for our listeners because there's so much buzz around the non-relational database market. And I have some numbers here from Gartner that I'll share. The database market in 2020, and this is the latest report, we don't have 2021 yet, 
But the database market grew 17.1% to reach $65 billion in 2020. So $65 billion is being spent on database solutions, even more in 2021, I'm sure. And it was really unimpacted by the current economic downturn and coronavirus issues of that specific time. But the relational database part of that market, the segment for our DBMS systems, it's 82%. And that segment specifically grew by 15%. So it's not only dominating database solutions in play in IT departments today, it's also still growing and increasing. Now, to be fair, the non-relational database market grew by almost 35%. So these MongoDB, Azure CosmoDB, DynamoDB, these types of solutions are growing faster than the relational database market. But because the relational database market is so large, it is still larger growth. And of course, it's still dominating this market as a whole. So it's interesting that the relational databases are becoming very critical players, even though there's still lots of buzz around non-relational, this localization, data residency, compliance, and the need to localize content for people and uh, purchasers, especially in the retail and e-commerce spaces have really still preferred this relational database type of solution. Is that fair to say? Oh, that's extremely fair to say. As far as scalability and being able to manage, uh, especially in these very large, complex enterprises, this is the solution that makes the most sense to them. Wow. Well, it sounds, it sounds like uh, performance testing can be a nightmare. It looks like performance engineers such as yourself are probably going to be in business for quite a while. But how does this really tie back into the business aspect? I mean, I know we talked about the cart abandonment. It's easy to see how that affects business because it's like you did all this work to get the sale and you fumbled the ball at the goal line. But here with this performance testing and all of this, how does this directly relate to generating business value? Like, I think that businesses, the most important attribute any successful business has is the ability to innovate over a long period of time. So how does this type of system and and the IT team and operation behind it, how does it generate the business outcomes that the business needs from their website and e-commerce platform? So a slow performing website, so not optimally tuned, is going to make less money or have a lower conversion rate than a website that is performing optimally or at least conversion rate should be. Wait, what do you mean by conversion rate? Conversion rate is going to be the percentage of users that complete their purchase versus the number of users that were just kicking tires on the site. Okay. So with performance, we show every day that it does matter to your end users. The faster the performing site, the higher conversions, the higher your business value. The second piece is, besides speed, is the functionality. Do all the buttons work? Do all of the calls that make up your inventory that actually bring in data to the system when you log in that knows what your address is. It's a whole that functioning. When that is not functioning, you lose customers as well. So any friction, whether performance or UI related, is going to cause some type of conversion metric or business value to drop for those particular for, for those sessions. And, you know, to take that in another direction as well, uh, how we might be impacting business value is the team that's supporting this solution. If it's not performing, you can bet there's a lot of stress on that team. And if as an, as a company, as an IT department, if you're, if the majority of your IT energy is focused on putting out fires or focused on providing bare minimum services or 
putting a crutch under a system that isn't really architected too well, it can put a huge strain on the IT department. And if the IT department isn't really thinking of the business as their customer and trying to provide the best services possible to their customer, that can affect business outcomes as well. So how you're, where the energy of your IT department is being focused on really has a lot to do with this as well. Because if you have a system that's performing well, that's functioning the way that it needs to, and your SDLC and your operation are all functioning the way that they need to, then that, that is going to put less strain on your IT department. It's going to allow them to explore new solutions that are ultimately going to help advance your business because technology can be a great enabler, but it can also be a great limiter if you're not very good at executing. Well, I guess it really seems like slow is the new down. Man, I don't know how many uh, hours of my, the days of my life I've sat looking at that little spinner that sometimes seems like it'll never end. And yeah, I can attest personally, I'm sure we all can, that it's extremely frustrating. But if you had some advice for these IT managers, these CIOs, CTOs on how they can avoid being in a situation where their website isn't, isn't performing, where their marketplace isn't performing, what advice would you give them? My advice is from the beginning, allocate the proper number of resources and time to investing in a solution that is going to give you the business outcome you desire. The investment up front may be higher than other solutions, but ultimately it's going to lead to higher conversions and more people shopping on your website. That's right. And you got to always focus on those business outcomes. How can IT enable the business to have the outcomes that they want? And you uh, you said something that kind of brought me back to my old project management days in consulting. And I used to always tell customers, there's never enough time to do it right but there's always enough time to do it again. So just save yourself the headache of project phase two and get it right the first time, allocate the right resources the first time. This has been a very interesting conversation. I really appreciate you coming on here, Keith. And I do hope that we can talk to each other again in the future. My pleasure, Ori. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much. And thanks again to our uh, listeners and to Derek for sharing his airwaves with me. I hope we'll see you again soon in the future. Getting Loud on the Cloud is sponsored by Silk, the database supercharger on the cloud. Want to get the fast performance your databases need on the cloud? The Silk Cloud platform can help. Learn more at silk.us. Thanks for listening.